Good morning, friends. Glad to be with you this morning. Um, Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we do thank you for all that you've done in our lives so far. We thank you for bringing us here um, one more day, one more Sunday to worship together as your people. Lord, my prayer for my own heart is that you would encourage us and uh, truly open up our eyes to see your Son, our Lord Jesus, whom we need to see. So Lord, if we come discouraged, encourage us. If we come confused, make it clear. If we are saddened, give us joy and delight in you. Thank you for your holy word and for the opportunity to sit around it, to be warmed by the fire of your word and your truth. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for loving us first. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I am in this last section of the first chapter of Titus. And as Paul has shared, I mean, as Jeff has shared before, Paul is writing to an associate named Titus who is not a Jew. He's a Gentile. And it's on or to um, churches or believers on an island called Crete. Now, I found that a word very interesting because when I was growing up, um, people used to call each other Cretans as a derogatory term. And the more I learned about Cretans in this passage, I thought it fit. But then I realized, you know, being a, a good English student, I needed to look up the word. So Cretan, C-R-E-T-A-N, are inhabitants from the island of Crete. But there is another word, C-R-E-T-I-N, which is the derogatory term. And you can look it up. I'm not going to explain it. But um, (laughs) I've never been called a Cretan, but I've used to see it in movies and TV and stuff. But the interesting thing is, these people were not good people. Cretans, whom Paul is writing to leaving Titus in charge. These people are known for not good behavior, but bad behavior. Not moral living, but immoral living. So in many ways, if they're called Cretans, it fits. And so I found that kind of interesting. Well, the passage, this last section of Titus, chapter 1, is really in the section about elders about officers, about godly leadership. Now, we've talked a lot about that subject in our church. When we've had officer nominations and elder ordinations, and even at T2, as Jeff mentioned, we had a couple sermons on qualifications of being an elder and what it means, and qualifications of deacons and what that means. And then again, more recently, going through the book, of Timothy, we came across it again. But this little section at the end of chapter 1 still falls within the heading about elders. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. But let me just say, um, as Jeff shared, this is kind of in the middle of Paul's last words. The last words were 2 Timothy. This is not reading it and preaching it as the third book in the pastoral epistles. Having said that, Paul is such a um, concerned father 
He's such a concerned pastor, and I love that. I don't want to be an unconcerned pastor. I want to care about you. I want to know you. I want to understand what hurts, what doesn't make sense, what confuses you, what you don't agree with. That's why Jeff usually goes to the back and I stay in the front and we try to meet you. We try to intercept you before you leave because we want to know if there's something on your mind, if there's something hurting you or bothering you or that's confusing to you. We want to understand so that you understand Christ, so that you understand His Word. And so, let me just say, falling into this, this section about elders, um, I just walked away again being really blessed. And, and let me say it this way, okay? I, I hope this doesn't come out too sappy. I am so grateful for every godly leader in our church. And not just the elders. And not just the deacons. Every ministry leader, every Sunday school teacher, every single person who steps up. Communion team. Coffee people. Ushers. Godly leadership makes all the difference. But now let me say a word about elders. They're not perfect, they're humans. They make mistakes, but there's a great, great responsibility to correct, to teach, to encourage, to counsel, to come alongside. And I have to tell you, my life would be so different if I didn't have elders who helped me along the way. I am who I am in many ways because of my parents and godly elders who stood in my path and said, hey, we need to talk about something. Now I'm going to share a little story with you. Let's change tones for a moment. If you walk into the right side of my garage, there's a huge hunk of red metal taking up space. To my wife's chagrin, our garage has never fit a car in all these years. It's full of stuff from a move from New Jersey and then moving my parents out. But most people who come to check on my sprinkler system or electric panel on that side of the garage, many of them notice it and many of them, especially native Texans, don't know what it is, so they look at me. And so I start like, like this. Um, well, it's a snowblower. <laughs> For you know when we get snowstorms. <laughs> um, bringing that with me from New Jersey was one step over the top to bringing my favorite snow shovel. I did bring my favorite snow shovel. I had five or six, but I brought my favorite one. And a couple years ago, got to use it, as you guys probably remember. But it has to be over the top to bring your snow blower. Now, here's why it still exists in my garage, because I paid a ton of money for that thing. But when we moved from Texas back to Jersey, um, I not only had to take care of the house I was living in, but my parents' house, which was next door, the house I grew up in. So it's two driveways, two sidewalks, and our neighbor, who is a man that's like a dad to me, who I grew up with all my growing up years, on Pomander Walk in Teaneck, New Jersey, said, listen, son, do yourself a favor. Spend the money and get a snowblower because it will make all the difference 
in the world when you have five storms every winter or back-to-back weeks of snow. It's all the difference between four or five hours of shoveling and one hour of work. And then he said something else. He said, this is not just going to help you physically, it's going to help you emotionally <laughs> and mentally. And so I bought the, I, I paid, I, you know, I broke down, I bought the thing. I did both driveways and all of that. And uh, I have to say, I, I haven't heart, had the heart to just, you know, put it on eBay. I'm waiting for a relative to claim it. I think my brother is going to claim it one of these days. He lives in Chicago. So um, here's where I'm going with that. There are some things that are so critical that make all the difference. And elders are that for you. You know, you might think, Is there a bunch of men who make executive decisions in elder meetings? No, they are supposed to care for your soul, supposed to watch for you, to love you, to come alongside of you, to help you, to listen to you, to counsel you. And they are, listen to this, going to make all the difference in the world in the church of Jesus Christ. It's not an option. So let me um, just mention this as we get further into this passage. Previously in verses 5 to 9, Paul talked about appointing elders. That's what he talked about just before this passage. And connects that idea of appointing elders to the remedy to the current concern at hand. And that is for the Cretans living out godly lives in the midst of a pluralistic, secular, and ungodly culture and society. So, going back to Crete, So you know what's happening in Crete? Immoral living. Secular living. Pluralistic living. Not very different from ours. Paul's writing to a context similar to ours. And then he connects this section with the previous section about appointing elders for a reason to say, hey, do you know how you remedy chaotic immoral living? In the church of Jesus, as believers, appoint godly elders. And not just a warm body, qualified, godly men who love the Lord, who love His Word, who love God's people. Appoint godly elders so that they will live out godly lives in the midst of a pluralistic, secular, and ungodly culture and society. Do you see the connection? That's why Paul is talking about this passage within the context of elders. These very elders, by their character and example, are to foster godliness in the church, convey truth, and confront error. They're the ones who are supposed to disciple the people, to live as an example for everyone. And Paul desires the Cretan Christians, now you heard this phrase before, I'm going to say it again, that they not look like everyone else, but be different, distinct, have a different flavor, have a different speech, have a different look, have different mannerisms. Paul desires these Cretan Christians to be adorned with the gospel of Christ. Adorned. Showing the beauty of Christ in the midst of an ungodly culture. 
Well, let me give you a quick outline, okay? Verses 10 and 11, this is just based on the passage. Verses 10 and 11, Paul says, to the elders and Titus, so he's instructing them, remember this is in the passage about elders. Paul says, verses 10 and 11, stop the false teaching going on. Titus, elders, stop the teaching that's wrong. Stop the teachers. Secondly, verse 12 to 14, encourage the right thing. Encourage right doctrine, sound teaching onto godly living. Now listen, I hope you'll hear this again. Encourage sound doctrine onto godly living. Do you know what he's getting at? Disciple people to the point where they're living it out in their lives. Not just filled with head knowledge. Not just filled with more information. More God talk. Encourage sound doctrine unto godly living. And then, I'm going to come back to this in a moment, but you do that encouraging in sound doctrine by, listen to this, this is very important in the work of an elder or any ministry leader, I would say by reproving, correcting, confronting, teaching. Straight into people's faces. Not hiding the truth. Not beating around the bush. Encourage sound doctrine by doing and saying the things you need to say to your people when they need to hear it. The third thing is Paul talks to Timothy and Titus, I mean Titus and the elders about understanding the process of inner grace, how God's grace works in people to make them Christians. You know that label Christians? How does God make someone his? How does God make someone holy? How does God make someone sanctified? And the last thing is a little principle that I think reveals and says a lot. Don't forget, Titus, elders, that their actions reveal who they really are. Your actions actually reveal your heart. Because people can say stuff to you, and people can pretend, and people can trick you, but here's the thing. Their lives are going to speak louder than any words. Their actions are going to speak louder than anything else and reveal their hearts. So let me go into this, these sections as um, quickly as I can. Verses 10 and 11. Stop the false teaching in its tracks. Do you know what Paul's really telling Titus? Look, there's false teaching going on left and right. We even heard about that in the sermons from Timothy, right? Well, this continues even in Crete with lots of people who are teaching things that are not biblical. And I'm going to I'm going to hit on something there in a moment, which I think was revealing about them and maybe even now. But Paul's really warning them to say, hey, you're the elders. If you hear things that are deviating from the truth of God, say something. Do something. This is not a free-for-all in the church. This is God's Word we're talking about. This is the truth of life that we're talking about. Stop the false teaching in its tracks. Now, Paul actually gives us in the next verse 
actually a few um, qualities about these false teachers. The first, one of the things that he says, uh, I'm going backwards a little, but he says that they are mainly of the circumcision or especially of the circumcision. These false teachers or most of these false teachers. Do you know what he's trying to say? That many of these are people who are Christians from a Jewish background who are bringing in other things along with their newfound faith in Christ, extra baggage, extra traditions, extra rituals, extra things, and maybe even saying, hey, don't do that anymore. Don't do that. That's not okay. Do this. Don't do that. Making lists, adding stuff. And so, especially of the circumcision means that many of these false teachers were Christians of Jewish background. Now let me go back. They're rebellious men, Paul says. Rebellious men. Isn't that an interesting term? Because they're going against the authority of God's Word. Why? Because they're teaching things from outside of Scripture and apostolic teaching, extra-biblical things like Jewish myths and extra commands made up by men. You know what I can't stand in the church? People imposing things that even Jesus doesn't. Why does religion make it harder for people to jump through all these hoops and things, even things that the Scripture does not say is needed? That's part of human pride, I think. Say, like, well, we do it this way at our church. You got to do this and this and do it this way and this time to be a good standing member of the church or a good Christian. But anytime you go against the truth of God's word, you're rebellious. I want you to hear that. The second thing is they're deceivers because they're empty talkers. That's what the scripture says. They're deceivers because they're empty talkers. You know what these false teachers are doing? A lot of yapping. A lot of talking. Without substance. Without content. It's another mark of false teaching. And I think even today, false teachers, one of the strong marks is a lot of talk because they have some axe to grind or an agenda and... Adding in a lot of stuff. Some things that the Bible doesn't even talk about. That the Lord Himself is not requiring of us. And saying, in order to be a good Christian, to be holy, you got to do all these things. Now, I have to tell you, we're a human organization too, and we have things that we do a certain way, but we try as much as possible to say, is this in keeping with the structures and the principles that God gives us in His Word. So Paul goes on really to say that godly elders are totally needed to have a healthy, holy, sanctified church. Elders are needed. Second thing that he says is encourage sound doctrine by confronting, reproving, and correcting unto righteousness all the way down the road unto godly living. That's the second point that I made. Now let me read these verses for you because I found 
these verses very compelling from the Apostle Paul. Remember some weeks back in 2 Timothy, I said, it must have been awfully hard for this guy who's laser-focused, a-personality type of guy to be humble and patient with people. He can often rub people the wrong way because he's on mission for Christ. But he learned humility. He learned patience. He learned to care about people. He learned to listen to people. But part of the work of an elder, part of the work of a pastor, part of your work as parents, hey, perk up, listen to this. Part of your work as parents is to confront error and speak truth at the moment and to not sweep it under the rug and not to hide it and not to be like everyone else. Well, all the other parents do it or this is not a big issue. No, God's Word is very clear on things. Now, listen to what Paul does here. I need better glasses and bigger print too these days. (laughs) Listen to what he says. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Full stop. This testimony is true. Now, Paul's writing a letter that's going to be read in the congregation out loud about Cretans. And look what he just says. He says, Cretans, one of their own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. You know, um, I'm going to take a moment here to tell you, I cannot list the names of all the people who have stood in my path and said, hey, Jake, this is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. What you're acting like is wrong. We need to talk. You want to have coffee? You want to have lunch? I remember when I was just about 10 or 11 years old, a godly elder in the little church that wasn't perfect looked me in the eye and said, you're too worldly. You love TV too much, Jake. Just caught up in so much stuff just like my friends and TV shows and all. And this is a man who came from another country who's looking at our Western culture and says, the more you get sucked into that stuff, you're going to start acting like it and talking like it, and this is not good for you. I still remember literally him standing in my face and saying, you need to stop some of that. This is not good for your life. It's not good for your spirituality. Then I remember him saying, you see, you know all that stuff that goes in? It goes somewhere. It stays in there. You can't just snap your fingers and get it out once it's in there. And I remember him confronting me. I remember a roommate later in seminary, a roommate in the attic at CCEF. That's where I used to live. He looked me in the eye and said, you know, this is wrong what you're doing 
when you talk about these things in public, like when you say certain things. He confronted me and corrected me. I could go on and on. We used to have an old elder here named John Shoup. I've mentioned that name before, but many of the um, people who have been at Trinity for a long time have heard or know that name. And John used to look people in the eye and say, hey, something needs to change. Do you see what Paul's telling Timothy here? He's saying, sometimes you got to tell it like, I mean, telling Titus here, you have to tell it like it is. You have to tell the truth. You have to call what's wrong, wrong. What's sin is sin. So that they can be corrected from error and be pushed towards sound doctrine so that, now listen again, so that the church does not look like the rest of the world. Now I'm not trying to say, We need to have a holiness list. We've got to do all these things. But here's the point. Here's the point. God gives us His Word for a reason. And we don't deviate from that. And when there's other stuff, we say that's wrong. That's extra. That's that's beyond what the Bible or the Lord is commanding us. And then when we see wrong, we correct it. We confront it. We reprove. You see, the language in here, it says... Therefore, rebuke them sharply. In another translation, it says, reproved severely. Reproved severely. So do you think Paul was putting on kid gloves? He's saying, if you love the church and love the Lord and love His people, then you will, then you will be direct and clear about these things. Let me... Um, let me move on. The reason Paul wants this kind of behavior from the elders to come alongside of God's people is to be counter-cultural in their context. So I want you to think about that. Do you look more like your culture or are you counter-cultural? Are we counter-cultural? What makes us different than the world that's right outside our doors. Paul tells this so that they will be biblical in their minds and hearts, to resist the influences of worldliness, to live out godliness in everyday life, and even to be an example to all those outside living in Crete. And Titus and the elders are to confront these people straightforwardly. Um, I don't have time to go into this, but in the previous section, we went over with Pastor Jeff many of the godly or the qualities or qualifications of these men who were supposed to do this. Do you remember that? Husbands of one wife, children who are faithful or who believe, they've not been accused of rebellion, they're above reproach, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, they're not found... Uh, fond of, of, of shameful gain or sordid gain. There's lots of qualities, right? He shares all those qualifications. You know why? He wants the church to know God has gifted the church with elders, with quality, qualified, godly people who have been vetted, who have been examined, whose lives back up the talk to come alongside others and to do the teaching and exhortation and the confronting and the correcting. Do you realize that, friends? 
Do you realize that we're not just putting warm bodies up there? We're not just appointing and ordaining any old persons. We are looking very carefully at what God has desired so that they can come alongside the church and encourage and exhort and correct and do all these things so that we would be a holy congregation in the midst of a secular and immoral culture. Um, I'm going I'm to just end with the last two points somewhat quickly because it's kind of an interesting phrase. Verses 15 and 16. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Do you see that little phrase, to the pure, all things are pure? This is a hard phrase for me to figure out. I've heard that phrase before. I just try to understand, where is he really going with this? What does this mean in this context? I think one of the things that Paul is trying to tell Titus and the elders is this. Listen, you don't become Christian or more holy or more sanctified or more whatever by having a list of don't do these anymore or, don't, or do these more. Jumping through more hopes. To the pure, all things are pure, gives us an indication of it is God who makes men and women holy. It is a work of the Spirit of God. I shared this with my little ones and communicants this morning. The work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we covered this morning in our class. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to impact our consciences so that our thinking would be different, so that our living would be different. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit does that. Not by having a few more things that you do, and have a few more things that you don't do because someone said, this is how to be a better Christian. When the Lord sanctifies you and calls you His own, you are holy unto Him. And the things that the Lord doesn't ask you to do, or the things that He tells you to do, those are what we follow. Not extra traditions and extra rituals and extra practices because someone said so. God does the work. God sanctifies us. And the very last thing, the very last point, was that our actions reveal our hearts. You know where he talked in that last verse about they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good works. I think Paul's giving a warning to Titus and to say, hey, you know these people who are claiming to be Christians and leaders and teachers? Look at their lives. How their actions. How their family lives. How's their behavior? Listen, this, this is, this is, I, I've got to share this little verse, the uh, section. This is Jesus talking. This is not very different than, Paul, Paul's not saying something different than Jesus. Jesus says in, Matthew, in Luke chapter 6, 
For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. Friends, don't be burdened by ritualistic religious stuff. If you're the Lord's, then be confident in what He's done in your heart and your lives. Be holy, live unto Him, follow His word. Avoid extra chatter, empty talkers. Follow God's word. Don't be burdened by these extra biblical things that people are saying and writing and podcasting on. Trust the Lord. He has you if you are His. And live unto Him so that the end result is that we would be a people holy and sanctified so different than the world around us. You know, I ask my kids this all the time. You know, it's fine for you to know all the right answers, but how's your attitude? How's your behavior? Does that reveal that you're a Christian? You know, in Christ, the Lord continues to make us holy in Him. I want you to walk away from today with a couple of things. One, a renewed interest in following God's Word and God's Word alone. And to give thanks to God for those who He has put around you to walk alongside of you. Elders, deacons, officers, Sunday school teachers, ministry leaders. It's God's gift to us. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this passage, even though, Lord, there are some challenges there. Lord, we also live in a secular, pluralistic, immoral culture and society, but we thank You, O God, that You have given us Your elders um, to show us how to stay true to Your Word. And thank You for Your Holy Word. Lord, help us to stick to it. We pray, O God, that You would make us holy and happy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.